Turn to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20, and we are going to read verses 24 through 31 together. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, right? Fourth, fifth book of the New Testament. Sorry, can't count while I'm talking. I didn't count while I was talking. I can't count during and talking either. Acts chapter 5, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 20. Let's start over. Uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Find it somewhere else, all right? Acts chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. I'll read verse 24. You'll join me on verse 25. We'll alternate through the passage that way all the way to verse number 31. Acts chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that ye all, among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. Wherefore, I take you uh, to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I cease not to warn every one night and day with tears. And let's pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you, you said in Matthew 4, 4, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Thank you that you've given to us in every word Bible in the King James Bible for the English people. Thank you that we can teach life from it. We can learn not just spiritual life, but how to live this life to get us ready for the eternal life. Lord, I pray that you bless us today. Bless the preaching of the word of God. Lord, bless the hearers. But would you please do something for me? As I represent you and you represent me before the Father, would you allow me to say what you once said here and that alone? Please, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. If you'll keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter 20, we'll get back to it in just a moment. Let me quickly lay a foundation that will help us today. God is our shepherd. We know the great passage in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, many times he talks about uh, us being sheep and he being the shepherd. Let me uh, liken that unto a statement that maybe, uh, and I don't think I'm doing the scripture any wrong by saying this, we could say then that each farm would be its own church. If we are his flock and we have a shepherd, that means that we each farm then would be its own church. Sheep are not real smart animals. I'm not going to tell you anything about yourself. 
Sheep have no ability to defend themselves. The only thing they can do is run, and they really don't even know where to run because they're not real smart. Uh, the Bible says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pasture. He leadeth me beside still waters. Do you ever wonder why a sheep has to drink still water? Well, their nose is situated so close to their mouth that if they're drinking running water, they're dumb enough they'll stand there. As they drink, the water will run up their nose and drown them and they'll die and they're too stupid to walk away from it. That's why they have to be led to still water to drink. They literally are dumb enough to stand there and die drowning while they drink water. Uh, they need someone to watch out for them, to protect them, and to keep them healthy. Sheep are not good. They're not uh, healthy if they have to live by themselves. You don't just buy one sheep and it, it live very long if you just leave it alone. Uh, God made them to be, uh, we would call them herd animals. They, they need other sheep and they need a lot of interaction uh, for their whole life. You leave a sheep out in a pasture by itself, it'll die over a period of time. Now, a cow, you can leave her out in the field or a bull. You can leave him out in the field. By the way, there is only one or the other. Uh, two bulls don't make a cow and two cows don't make a bull. It's just the way it is. Uh, but uh, they, they, they don't know how to protect themselves. If a wolf or, like I saw this morning, big old coyote out in the field next door, that got loose in a, in a sheep pen, uh, the sheep don't know what to do. They can run around a little bit, but they're, they're not bright enough to even know where to get away from it, and they'll just get tore up and die and get e eaten by the enemy. They need someone to watch over them and to care for them. Now, they don't lead each other very well. Sheep don't lead each other very well. I've watched this happen. I knew a man that raised sheep. I was up in Maine, and I watched this happen. Uh, he said, look, we're going to unload this whole, whole truck of sheep. He said, watch this. He said, I'm going to put a bar here, and the first three or four sheep are going to jump over the bar, and I'll remove the bar, but watch what happens. Do you know after the first three or four sheep jumped that bar, he pulled that thing out, you know that every sheep clear back to number 50 jumped in the same spot? <laughs> he said, that's how stupid they are. He said, they don't lead each other very well. He said, the Bible is so true about how dumb these critters really are. Now, God goes from talking about sheep to talking about the church. I want you to notice something here. Uh, look at verse uh, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church. Notice how he goes from sheep and a flock to the church. He is talking to us in illustration using sheep and a flock about the church. Thus the statement I made, that's why each farm, each flock would be its own church. Now, uh, God knows that we people, just like sheep, need a safe place to survive. Right. Now, hang on. I want you to notice something. 
Jesus started the church. Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18, Jesus was talking to the disciples and he said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He was not talking about Peter. Peter was not the first pope. Catholic Church didn't come on the scene till 330 A.D. under Constantine, just so you know. That's 300 years after Matthew chapter 16. Well, the word Peter means rock. No, the word Peter is the word Petrus, or the word which means pebble. It means like one of those little stones you get in your shoe that you got to stop and get out because it's hurting your foot. That's what the word Peter means. Jesus said, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, the word rock there means cornerstone, chief stone. Well, we know that in scripture, Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He isn't a pebble. He's the cornerstone. He's the foundation. He is the one upon which all the weight of the building stands. Now, I say that to say this. Jesus started the church. That's why he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Now listen to this statement very carefully. Each pastor is to be a shepherd to help feed, protect, guide, strengthen, nurture, and help see the flock prosper. That's the purpose I have for Grace Baptist Church flock. Each pastor, every pastor then, is to follow orders from the great shepherd. We're not supposed to be independent from what God intended. You say, well, what did God intend? That old King James Bible right there. The old black book. You see, Jesus wanted us to follow his example as a church. We're not supposed to bring the world into the church and make the church like the world. We're supposed to bring the people from the world into the church and make them like God wanted them to be. I am sick up to hear of churches that are more worldly than the world was 50 years ago. Church is not a place for a rock concert. Church is not a place for a bunch of shenanigans and drinking and all the, it's not a, a nightclub or a social club, club. It's not a dance hall. It's not an entertainment center. <laughs> it's also not a holy place. Notice Jesus didn't come to build the temple. He came to build the church. We'll get into that in a moment. But I want you to notice one passage that I'm going to launch from today to help you. Look at Acts chapter 20 again, verse number 28. We read part of it, but not the part that I want you to get to. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. Now watch this. Which he hath purchased with his own blood. If you mark in your Bibles, I would mark that statement. Which he hath purchased, he paid for, 
Correct? With his own blood. Now listen to this statement. Don't hang me. I can prove it. That means the church, the local church, is as important to God as your salvation. You see, the same penalty and the same price was paid for the church as was paid for our salvation. And when churches take the blood out of their church, they've removed themselves from being under the auspice of God himself. (laughs) I didn't say it. God did. I'm not real smart, but if it was paid for by the blood, and then churches say, well, we don't want to be known as a bloody religion, so we're going to remove it. They've just removed what gave them their right to be a church at all. That's like saying someone who owns a Chick-fil-A doesn't want to follow the rules of Chick-fil-A and they want their employees to wear Burger King and McDonald's uniforms and they're going to sell Happy Meals and they're going to sell Big Macs and Whoppers. They no longer then become part of the franchise for Chick-fil-A. Just like a church that removes the blood also removes their franchising to be a church biblically. I didn't say it, God did. Now, I did not say that you have to be part of a church to be saved. You don't join a church to get saved. But I want you to notice the price for the church is the same price as your salvation. You see, it's as important as salvation. Not to get saved... But to the saved, the church is as important as salvation. You can be saved and not be a member of a church. That is correct. Jesus looked at a man on the cross next to him and he said, Lord, remember me when I come into thy thy kingdom. And he said, this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. He didn't have time to get baptized. He didn't have time to join a church, but he went with him to go to heaven. You can go to heaven without being a church member, but realize the same penalty for your salvation, or the same price for your salvation is the same price for the church. Now, here's my question. Why then do Christians not make church as important to them as God does? I'm not angry with anybody. I'm the mailman. Don't get mad at me. It's kind of like when the mailman brings all the bills at the first week of the month. You know what that's like? You wished he wouldn't show up? Well, the mailman doesn't have to pay your bills if you don't pay them. So don't get mad at me. I'm just hauling the mail and delivering it to your box. Amen? Uh, I just have to preach what God says, and I'll preach it plain and true. It cost Jesus his blood. If it meant that much to God, that it took Jesus' blood to pay for the church, 
Don't you think we Christians ought to put a little higher emphasis on church? Don't you think we ought to see the importance of what church really is? I'm not talking about religion. Let me make this very clear. Religion generally means man tells God how God has to accept man. That's a bunch of garbage. I have no right to tell God anything. But I do have a responsibility to do it the way God says. Christianity is, thus saith the Lord, and we obey. Uh, I'm not up here making rules. I'm just reading the ones he wrote down. Uh, I'm not going to go into detail. It's not a big issue. But this week, uh, I was in public and felt like a person disrespected the office of pastor. It was the only way I know how to say it. (laughs) I'm not going to because I have more respect than he does. But I will say this. I I, I even started doing some things behind the scenes, not for me, but for other pastors, even of leaders of other religions that may be in the same position because uh, that person treated the position of pastor with a lot of disrespect. He may not have intended, I don't know what his intentions were, but he did. Now, he didn't get up and call me a dirty, rotten crook or anything else. It wouldn't have mattered to me. But I just felt like that person was using their position to elevate it above everybody else's in the room. And it wasn't right. And they need taught that it wasn't right. I don't always agree with our uh, politicians. But if the President of the United States were here, I would greet him and introduce him as Mr. President. I don't have to agree with someone to give them the respect due their position. I can respect their position without agreeing with what they say. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's called being a gentleman. That's called being right. Yeah. Now, let me help you with a few things here. Number one, Jesus started and is the head of the church. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I quoted this verse. I'm going to show you just real quick here, and then we're going to jump to another passage. Matthew chapter 16, this is Jesus speaking. By the way, the word of God is all Jesus speaking, but this is while he was on earth. He actually said these words from his mouth while he was here on earth. Matthew chapter 16, look at verse number 17. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So Jesus said it was upon the uh, upon him that the church would be founded, correct? This is my church. It'll be upon the rock, and he started it. We know that by Matthew chapter 18, don't turn there, they're already talking about the church and people that are causing problems in the church. Say why? Because they're sheep. 
Now, turn to Acts chapter 2. If you have a Schofield reference Bible, don't get angry with me. I'm going to correct Mr. Schofield because he's an idiot. Mr. Schofield says that Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, is when the church started. Well, I'm going to show you where Mr. Schofield didn't read Acts chapter 2. Look at verse number 47. Well, let's look at verse number 41 first. Then they that gladly received his word were what? And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now look at me. How can you add to something if it wasn't already there? It didn't say that they started with. It said they added to. Correct? Skip down to verse... 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Hmm. To add to something means there was something there to start with. Does that sound feasible? All right. So there, that means the church did not begin at Pentecost. It had great growth beginning at Pentecost. That was the kickoff to the uh, supernatural spreading of the gospel around the world because that was a, and I've taught this in other times, I'm not going to reteach the whole thing, but that was not only a regular Pentecost, that was a Pentecost of Pentecost, that was a 50th year. And that meant every all the business transactions had to come back to Jerusalem and they had to retransact all of the homes and land and businesses and redo all those because every 50th year, those things had to be redone. So there was a huge crowd of people from and, and, and Hebrews from all over the world that owned property and different things that had to come back and they were all regathering back at Jerusalem at this time, people from every kindred and race and and people group from around the world. And 3,000 were saved and baptized in one day. And as they left to go back out into their where they came from, they took the gospel with them. That's what Pentecost was all about. Everybody doing okay? So, since it is Christ's church, his church, it should be run his way using his words and his methods. Correct? Uh, everybody look at me for a second. If you owned a business, Brother Scott owns a business. If Brother Scott owns a business, I have no right to go to Brother Scott and say, Scott, you're doing this wrong. You need to change this. You need to quit using that carrier and use this carrier. You need to quit using the, these materials and use these materials. I don't even have a degree in what he's doing. I don't want a degree in what he's doing. I have no right to tell him he owns the business. So what right does a church have to tell God how they're going to do things? Everybody doing okay? That's why I tell people, any, uh, did you know that we don't have a meeting every five years to find out what doctrines we're going to change? My Bible says forever, O oh Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Guess what? We don't have to figure out what doctrines change. None of it changes. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. 
Any church that starts changing doctrines and meeting about all their different changes, it's time to change churches. And I don't care if it's got the name Baptist attached to it. We're not to make church what we want. We're to make church what he wants. Grace Baptist Church is not here to please you. It's here to please him. I don't know how else to say that. Now, I would like you to enjoy it. I would like you to enjoy what God has for you. But may I say this? I'm not going to change what God said just to get you here. This isn't come come get what you want and tell the preacher what you want. This is kind of like military chow. You hold the plate out, we flop it on. Say, well, I don't like it. You might not like it, but choke it down. It's good for you. It'll sustain you. Say, well, but, but preacher, it could be a little kinder. Well, I could put it on and say, smile, y'all, but it's not going to taste any better. Amen? Green eggs and ham is going to be green eggs and ham whether you do it with a smile or not. We're not here to modernize the church. Okay, this is where I'm going to get in trouble. I don't find screens and bouncy balls and no songbooks and things in the Bible. I'll promise you the more high-tech a church goes, the less soul winning they go. The more tech they're involved in, the less in reaching people with the gospel they are. Mark it down. Uh, The more they get involved with the music of the church, and I'm not saying church music is bad. I love church music. Thank God Brother Anthony's coming, going to rescue the perishing and care for the dying. Amen? and thank God for Brother Ron stepping up while uh, we've been uh, in between things. And it's been a blessing on your ears that I don't have to do it. And a blessing on my voice. And I get that. God did not intend me to be a song leader. He intended me to preach. Amen. And it's all right. Now, that does, but I know churches that are professional in their music and they don't do anything for God other than music. The day this church puts a bigger emphasis on, on music than we do going out reaching lost people, I'll shut the music program, program down. We're going after lost people. The most important part of what we do is getting out, getting the gospel out everywhere we go. And the moment we lose that, and the moment we lose that emphasis, we go away for what Jesus paid the price for for this church. I was just talking with someone yesterday about a church going through the very same. By the way, this sermon's been done for weeks. But they were telling me of a church that's going through the identical thing I just said. I hear it almost every week of my life. Uh, I don't find anywhere where the church is supposed to deduct your tithe out of your bank account. Amen. I have gotten so many... People tell me that there's churches in this area that if you join their church, you have to give them your banking information. They just deduct your tithe out of your bank account without you doing it. It's going to be a cold day where the booger man lives for I ever do something like that. Amen. That's a church that's interested in money, not people. Amen. My Bible says bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. It didn't say take it out of their bank account. 
It's to be a free will offering, not forced in robbery. I think it's criminal. Everybody doing okay? I'm not setting an ATM machine up in the church so it's more convenient for you. God help us. God gave us this four acres. We never raised a penny. We just bought it off the tithes and offerings of God's people. I told our people we're not going to raise money. We're just going to build as we go with the money we have. And when we can get a loan, we'll get a loan. And we kept going. I never raised money. But God kept providing. (laughs) Then I had a man call me and said, look, I'll give you 60,000 if you can raise 30. I said, great. I hung up and said, Lord, how do I get 30,000 when I promise my people I'm not going to raise it? I said, God, you know what's going on better than I do. I don't even know what to do. Fifteen minutes later, my phone rang. <laughs> Brother Bob. I picked it up. And the guy said, preacher, man in a distant state, not a member of our church, never spent a day in this church. He said, preacher, I've been praying this morning. About 15 minutes ago, God put it on my heart. I got a $30,000 check written out to Grace Baptist Church. Where do I send it? I said, can you say that again? (laughs) He said about 30 minutes ago, or about 15 minutes ago, God said, I need to write a check for $30,000 for your check. I said, I'm going to put you on hold for just a second. He said, but, but. I said, well, glory. (laughs) I picked him back up and said, I got to tell you a story. God gave us $90,000 in 15 minutes. Say, how do you do that? By obeying God. I never came to you and said, we got to have money. We got to have money. We got to have money. No, I said, we're going to do what we can do and let God take care of what we cannot do. And hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, almost $375,000 came in during all that, just off the obedience of God's people. Say, how do we do it? We went out and kept knocking on doors, kept telling people about Jesus Christ. We were more concerned about people than we were about the bank account. If we would get concerned about people, God takes care of the bank account. Amen. We're not to change God's words. You're not going to come here and, and learn from all the different perversions and man's versions of the Bible. Well, it's just easier to understand all the these and thous. Okay, thee means you. Thou means you. Got it? Figured out? Here we go. Well, the ye, okay, ye means you. Don't worry about it. You know, I laugh. They call me ignorant. But they're the ones that have to have an easier Bible to understand. Everybody doing all right? Can I tell you why they have to have an easier Bible? Because they don't know the author like I do. You get in tune with the author and allow the Holy Spirit of God to guide you through it. You won't have you have need of any of the perversions. You won't need the M-I-C-K-E-Y-M-O-U-S-E version. You won't need the NASV or the New King James, the RSV or the uh, HIV for the Sodomites. You won't need the new, new gender neutral Bible. You don't need the Precious Moments Bible for the kids. 
I got kindergartners that will teach to read this year and they'll be able by the end of this year to read a King James Bible and memorize scripture from the King James Bible at the end of kindergarten, not for, not third grade. Put that in your pipe and smoke it a while, liberal. And they'll understand what the words mean. Well, if a kindergartner can do it, I think semi-intelligent adults can. And if they can't, they're not as intelligent as they think they are. They're educated idiots. We're not to modernize the, the, the church. We're to keep it the way God said. We're not to change his words. We're not to make it what we want. And may I say this, we're not to add tradition to our doctrine. We're just supposed to we're not worry about tradition and add pure doctrine. Churches become traditional and they rely on their traditions and not the word of God. Everybody doing okay? <laughs> That's why there's no names on the seats where you're sitting. Amen. Well, this person came and somebody's sitting in my seat. Well, my first statement is there's no name tag on it. Guess it wasn't yours. If we ever buy more chairs or someday pews, I don't know that we will. But if we do, uh, I'm not going to let you, if you pay enough money to pay for a pew, put your name on it. Say, why? Because <laughs> it's not yours. It's God's. Everybody doing all right? Besides, I don't want my name attached to pew, amen? For some reason. <laughs> you can say that however you want. Did you know as pastor, I'm supposed to be God's assistant? I'm his under shepherd. He is the great shepherd, but he said, I'll give you a shepherd over each flock. So it's my job to follow him as I lead the flock. I'm not supposed to lead you the way I want. I'm supposed to lead you the way he wants. Uh, I was an assistant pastor for 23 and a half years. I think I know something about pastoring after being uh, preaching, it'll be 43 years next week. I've been in the ministry a long time. But can I tell you something? When I God told me to start this church, I said, okay, God, but I'm a better assistant than I am pastor. If you'll pastor it, I'll just be your assistant. He said, I'm already the shepherd. You're my under shepherd. Don't worry. Here we go. If we would stay in tune that way, by the way, I don't blame America's problems on the White House. I blame it on the church house. I don't blame it on the politics. I blame it on the pulpits. Number two. Man mistakenly has continued temple instead of church. I'm going to make a statement here. God promised to bless the Hebrew nation, not the Jewish religion. Amen. Jewish is a religion. Hebrew is a race or a nation. God never intended for us to follow the temple. Jesus said upon this rock, I will build my church, not temple. Jesus started a church. By the way, temple was on the seventh day, the Sabbath, Saturday. Jesus started the church and they met on the first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's Day. 
Acts chapter 20, verse number 7. The Bible says, And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until midnight. Y'all thought I preached long. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 and 2, and Mark chapter 16, verse number 9, talk about the church meeting on the first day of the week. Now, listen to me very carefully. This is going to be something that might shock you. Look how Jesus and the disciples went to the temple to preach the gospel to get members for the church. Turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Let me remind you, this is after Pentecost. Acts chapter 5, look at verse number 42. (laughs) I love this. Everybody doing okay? And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Who are they? The disciples getting people for the church. In other words, if somebody's of the wrong religion, guess what? Free game. Uh, Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. Look at verse number 55. Matthew 26. If you don't get there by the time I do, just look at a page intelligently. Matthew chapter 26. Look at verse number 55. The Bible says this. In that same hour, said Jesus to the multitudes, Are you come out against as a thief with swords and staves for to take me? I sat daily with you teaching in the temple, and you laid no hold on me. Do you realize that Jesus preached at the temple to get people out of the temple to get them to the church? Everybody doing okay? Now, I didn't say it. God did. You could go to Luke twenty-two fifty-three. We're not going to take time to turn there because we don't have time. But that's why in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, again, we won't take time to, to turn there, even though you're just a chapter off. When Jesus died, the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. Can I tell you why the temple veil was rent from top to bottom? Because the temple represented the tabernacle of the Old Testament. And once a year the high priest would go in with with the sacrifice for the sin of the whole people. And put that blood sacrifice on the mercy seat. When Jesus died as our sacrifice, our lamb, he was going to resurrect as our high priest. We no longer need the temple because we no longer need a human false or high priest because Jesus is our high priest he paid the sacrifice when he resurrected he went into the tabernacle in heaven and put his blood on the mercy seat and that temple veil was broken in half as a way for man to understand that is no longer needed Jesus fulfilled it all hang on that's why they crucified him He said, I'll destroy this temple and raise it in three days. They said, 40 and 6 years this temple was being built. 
but he did not speak of the building, he spoke of his body. 1 Corinthians 6 says, What know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God? And when a person trusts Christ as their Savior, the Holy Spirit moves in and your body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. Amen. Listen to last, night's, uh, last Wednesday night's Bible study, you'll understand. Oh, I've got to hurry. Next. How then do we make the church as important to us as it is to God? Well, first of all, I believe we ought to join it. Acts 2.41.47 talks about they added to the church daily. Acts chapter 8 verses 1 through 3 talks about people joining the church. Uh, Let me read those verses to you. You need not turn there. Acts chapter 8. Verse number one, I am there. And Saul, consenting unto his death, at that same time there was great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. They were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, hailing men and women, and committed them to prison. Paul went to these churches, destroyed them, found the church records, and started visiting families who were members of the church, saying either get out of the church or I'm going to send you to prison. How did he get those records from the church? That means they joined it. Everybody doing okay? First uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 28. I'll read it to you. You need not turn there. Just mark it. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28 says this, And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, the gifts of healing, helps, government, diverse, diversity of tongue, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the calling of healing and speaking tongues, do all interpret, but they covet earnestly the best gifts, which I show unto you a more excellent way. Look, God's talking about everybody being a part of it. Uh, Mrs. Barnes speaks uh, sign language. That's probably an oxymoron. Uh, some of you are just never mind. Uh, but uh, she she's able to interpret. The word tongues means language. Brother Lopez can speak Spanish, and if I have a Spanish person here, he can interpret what I say into Spanish so that they can hear in Spanish. By the way, that's what tongues were. It wasn't some jibber-jabber flopping on the floor like a fish out of water speaking all the motorcycle names backwards. No, it was of every language. Now, so I believe we ought to join the church. If it was important enough for Jesus to start, for he himself to join and pay for with his own blood, should it not be important for us to join it then? Say, well, how did Jesus join his own church? He happened to remember a man named John the Baptist baptized Jesus. By the way, what kind of church was started by Jesus? A Baptist church. Baptist was not John's last name. Hate to disappoint you. By the way, I said it before, that's 300 years before there ever was a Catholic church. That was 1,500 years before there ever was a Protestant church. 
The Protestants came out of the Catholic Church. The Baptists have been here since Jesus. Amen. And I'm not saying that to belittle anybody. I just want you to understand, Baptists are not Protestants. So, if Jesus started it, he joined it by being baptized. By the way, the word baptize is the word baptizo, which means to immerse. It is a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. You don't do it with a sprinkle or a pour. Oh, you're a deep water Baptist. That's the only kind, that's, that's the, what the definition means. If, well, Jesus was baptized, but they just poured water on his head. Then why did he go down into the river to be baptized by John? Amen. If he could sprinkle it or pour it, why did he have to go all the way into the river? That's right. Everybody doing okay? All right. Well, how much does God love the church, preacher? Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Whew. I got to hurry. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to run through four four points here really, really fast, and I'm going to quit. Ephesians chapter 5. Jesus loves the church as a husband is supposed to love his wife. Amen. Not only did he pay the price with his blood, not only did he start it, not only did he join it, he said... It's as close to me as a husband is supposed to be to his wife. And he tells us exactly how a husband is to treat his wife and how we are to love the church the same way. Ephesians chapter 9, verse number nine, or 5, verse number 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. In other words, just like a husband is to love his wife and speak good words, have harmony, have goodness, it didn't say screaming and hollering and rock music. It says speaking to yourselves together in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Home should not be a place where we're screaming and hollering at each other, angry all the time. It's supposed to be as harmonious as the music at church. Everybody doing okay? Now hang on, I'll show you something here. Uh, so it's a place where there's good things. Giving thanks always for all things. When's the last time we thanked each other at home? I thank my wife every meal she provides. She thanks me for the, <laughs> for the food by working. I thank her for washing clothes. I thank her before she left on her trip. She ironed all my shirts that I would need while she was gone. I sent her a text this morning and said, thanks for ironing shirts. I can still iron shirts. I don't have to very often because she does it for me, and I thank her for it. Everybody doing all right? Amen. It ought to be a place of kindness. Well, that's her job. <laughs> Show me one scripture in the Bible that says that she has to iron my shirts. Amen. Or clean my dirty socks. It, you won't find it. Next. Look at verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the savior of the body. Therefore, 
As the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now watch this. It's a place of mutual submission. I said something in Sunday school about this. It doesn't say that the wife is the only one supposed to be submitting. It says submitting yourselves one to another. My wife and I are a team. We've been married 34 years. Can I tell you something? (laughs) We make a pretty good team. My daughter was here this last week. Of course, with a five-month-old, she's had to grow up a lot. A lot of life has changed. I was with my daughter for a moment. It was just her and I. She said, Daddy, thank you for being the example to Michael and I, you and Mom. She said, I grew up hearing you say it's teamwork, it's teamwork, it's teamwork. She said, when it's just Michael and I, there wasn't a whole lot of opposition and you just start kind of, but boy, having a baby makes you realize it takes a team. I said, yeah, buddy, it do. I said, wait till you add another couple, three. She said, we're not doing that many. She said, you and mom made it always look so smooth. I said, you learn on the first one. You were the third one. You didn't know what the first two were like. (laughs) Wait a minute. Can I tell you something? I'm glad that my adult children can see the teamwork involved. That means you work together, not against each other. Fellas, she's there to complete you, not compete with you, as I said not long ago. It's not a competition. It's not whoever does the most wins. There's no competition. You know, I never see Jesus yelling or throwing a tantrum because he didn't get what he wanted. Matter of fact, all I see is him trying to give us what we need. And he never throws a tantrum if we don't do it. It's a place to give yourself to others. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That means this. We're not supposed to be worried about what we get, but what we give. Amen. True love is not worried about the reciprocation. It's only worried about giving. That's right. Amen. Did you know my five-month-old grandson can't love me right now? He can drool. He can throw up. He can squawk. He can smile. And he can exhaust. That's the only way I know how to say it nicely. And, he, and, I, and my daughter's finding out the more you put in, the more exhaust there is. Amen? Now, hang on for a second here. Did you know I can tell him I love him, but he can't say I love you? There is more true love. By the way, that's why a, a woman generally loves better than a man because she loves children that don't love her back. When you love not expecting anything in return, you've just begun to love. When you give not expecting someone to give back, then you've truly loved. When you do something for your wife, but you don't get what you want in return, you didn't love, you lusted. You were renting. It's a place to give yourself. Love does not think about itself. It thinks about the object that it loves. 
that's what verses 28 and 29. So all men love their wives as their own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. I made sure my wife, once she got to Georgia yesterday, had time to rest. Made sure she got to bed early last night. She's not used to getting up at 2.30 in the morning. You say, does she wake up grumpy? No, I wake her up. Uh, she doesn't get up like I do. It's okay. She's not used to the hours I keep. She said, are you going to bed soon? I said, I'll go to bed. She said, soon? I said, I'll go to bed. She was done in. I said, honey, you're not used to what I do. This is normal for me. Don't worry about it. But, but I said, get off the phone, go to sleep. I wasn't angry. She just, by the way, she woke up. She's fine this morning. Uh, it's a place to be joined and intimately spent time with. Look at Ephesians 5, verse 30. For we are, what's the next word? Members of his body, of his flesh, of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Watch this. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself and the wife that she reverence her husband. Hmm. We talk about that leaving and cleaving as only marriage, but God talks about it as joining the church. And just as intimately as there is to be a relationship between a husband and wife where they leave father and mothers on both sides to join as one flesh, I thank God for my dad. But I don't call my dad and say, Dad, uh, you know, my wife won't listen to me. Will you call her? Oh, no. I know what the answer on that's going to be. Son, you married her. You, you take care of that. She ain't going to listen to you. Why would she want to listen to me? She's yours, not mine. Everybody doing okay? That's why we're not supposed to be running to mommies and daddies with all of our marriage problems. Run to the man of God, not mommy and daddy. But let me ask you a question. How good would your marriage be if you only showed up once a week? I try. <laughs> <laughs> <She asked>. Yeah. <laughs> How good would your marriage be if you only were there as much as you're at church? How, much, how, how good would your marriage be if you were only committed as much as you were committed to the church? I didn't say it. God did. Don't get mad at me. I'm not asking you to spend 24 hours a day here. Trust me. But what I am saying is this. The church is important enough to God that he had Jesus pay the same price for it as he did your salvation. Amen. He started it. He joined it. He gave his blood for it. And he asked us to be a part of it. It's, if it's that important to God, don't you think it ought to be that important to us? Hebrews 10.25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Church is not a social club. It's not there for picnics and parties and entertainment. We're supposed to run the church. The way God said, run it. Let me ask you a question. 
How important is the church to you? I've showed you how important it was to God. How important is it to you? Important enough to do what he said? I'm, I'm not hurting for anything. I just have to preach the truth. I gave it to you plain. I gave you enough scripture and I could stand here for three more hours and give you more, but your bellies would be so loud you couldn't hear me. And so would mine. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I wonder who would say, preacher, if I died today, I'm 100% sure I'd go to heaven when I die. Would you raise your hand? God bless you. You may put your hands down. Is there one that would say, preacher, if I died today, I don't know for sure I'd go to heaven. Now, listen to me. I won't embarrass you. I won't come to you. I won't call you out. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, just like I didn't embarrass those that just raised their hand. She say, preacher, if I died today, I don't know for sure I'd go to heaven, but I'd like to know it. Would you raise your hand? All right. Who'd say, preacher, somewhere in that sermon, something I needed. Would you raise your hand? Oh, my soul. Scores and scores of hands. You may put them down. Maybe you've been saved and never baptized. We could take care of that today. You could get baptized and join church all in one day. If you've been saved and baptized by immersion, you'd like to join this church. I'm warning you. Old-fashioned, independent, fundamental, King James only, Baptist. Make no bones about it. You know what you're getting into. I just say this. I think we all ought to be a part of a church like Jesus started.